I get to share a, a joy-filled update. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had the opportunity to have Pastor Drew and his wife Kelly up on this stage, and we shared with you about one of the things that he was going to be experiencing. Um, he had to go in for heart surgery. Now, if you were there, you might remember the story. This, this was planned. This was not unforeseen. They, they knew that he needed to have a valve replaced at some point uh, in the future, and and was told by the, the doctor, like, the time is now, and so this has been scheduled. So on Thursday, December 3rd, Pastor Drew went in bright and early to get a valve replaced, open heart surgery, uh, qu- quite an enormous uh, scar, um, and, and yet we're, we're happy, we're pleased to update that everything went uh, as planned, even better than planned in many respects, uh, Drew is actually over at, at Hope West uh, right now. I'm just waiting for him to wave back here. Just hold on. There you go. Um, if you were to see him, don't jump on him. Uh, don't hogpile. We will do that uh, in a few months when he's up for it. Um, his wife is trying to protect him, like be a barricade, uh, treat him like a zoo animal. You can look, but don't, don't touch. Uh, well... <laughs> Well, you, you might be able to feed, uh, Drew. I think that's okay. Uh, a little different than, than that. But uh, phenomenally, one of the things that come out of this is that um, there, there was a, a calcium buildup that was um, bigger than they had anticipated. One of the surgeons said it might have been the biggest uh, buildup of calcium they had ever experienced, almost a almost golf ball-sized piece of calcium uh, built up there. The the implications of that were Drew's heart was working um, harder, longer than, than planned there, and so the, the heart had actually enlarged a little bit. Once they replaced the valve, this valve fit perfectly, no adjustments needed, like it was built for Drew Zulke, you know, and um, they got everything reconnected. They actually could see the heart functioning more effectively like immediately. It wasn't something like, oh, we'll monitor you, which they continued to do, obviously, but they could see the difference that it made immediately. And Drew's heart, which had enlarged over time, they could actually see that return to its normal size, like in the surgeon's hands. Like, how amazing is technology? How amazing is uh, science and medicine that, that they could do all of this, but then they could see the difference it made almost immediately. And so to imagine his heart um, returning to its, its rightful size. So if someone were to ask you, like, this Christmas season, is it okay for a, a pastor's heart to get smaller this Christmas season? <laughs> you can say absolutely, and we praise, we praise God for that. Um, so... <laughs> yes, yes, a reverse Grinch uh, situation there. Uh, by God's grace, Drew and his uh, family, Drew has returned home. That happened uh, this past Thursday, so it, it was a week. In a week's time, open heart surgery to returning home. He will be on the mend the rest of this month. And um, Drew and Kelly Z, if you want to follow uh, their lives in this uh, recovery time, Drew and Kelly C., uh, Kelly Z, sorry, um, online, you can find them there. So they'd love just any words, any comments, and they'll keep you updated that way. So excited to celebrate with them. Now, let's uh, turn. We are going to pause, take a, a, a pause from our Gospel of Luke series to enter into a uh, four-week Advent series called A Mythbusters 
Christmas. Uh, explain what that means, what that is there. I, I, if you're wondering, what, what does Advent mean? That's a, a Latin word that simply means to come. So when we're talking about Advent in, in the same breath as Christmas, we're talking about the coming of Jesus, the sending of Jesus to the world. It's a, a fancy theological word that often gets used as incarnation, that God became a man. And so we're going to take time to explore that over the next four weeks through this idea of a Mythbusters Christmas. I threw out this idea to Pastor Steve. I didn't know what he would think of it. And it came back green and, and thumbs up, gold. Uh, so we're, we're going to go with it. Um, some of you know the cable show, hopefully, Mythbusters. Show of hands, you kind of know that. Okay, so these two guys, Adam, who's on the right there, and Jamie on the left, they basically take these things that have gotten worked into our culture and, and held and esteemed and believed, um, these, these myths, and, and I, I do myths like this because they, they actually go through and, and determine, it. are they true? Can we confirm that they are legitimate or are we going to call them, um, you know, fake and, and therefore we bust them? And so when you hear that word myth, you might think like, oh, that necessarily means false, but these guys kind of go through and they're their job and what they do is basically take things that we um, see out there. Like one of them that I, I saw was, um, I don't know if you guys ever remember watching cartoons, but there were times where the, the cartoons would like have a gun and the gun would like actually turn 90 degrees around a corner. And I was just, I don't know if you guys remember that, but then they would shoot it and they actually, they actually tested that and found that it's legit. Like you can actually shoot around a corner like that. And another one that I watched, um, there's a new car commercial floating around where somebody bungee jumps and kind of on the, the water down below are floating some apples, like you're bobbing for apples, but it's off a bungee jump. And the guy comes up with an apple, so they tested that. I won't spoil the ending. You can look online. Um, many of these things you do not want to try at home, as uh, they themselves found out. Uh, they had a misfire where a cannonball actually went 700 yards outside their perimeter uh, went through a house, bounced on a highway, through another house, and lodged in a minivan. And so they had to come to the city and just say, uh, we goofed, we, we're sorry. Can we keep doing what we've been doing? And so uh, kids, don't, don't try this at home. Um, I do want to show a video of a, of a short Mythbusters clip. If you're a germaphobe, you're going to want to look away because they're going to test like how far a sneeze goes. So let's, let's run that video. When Adam sneezes, we need to see how far the stuff that comes out of his nose travels. And so to do that, I'm gonna add this uh, cherry-flavored red kid's drink mix to the snuff that he inhales, and when he sneezes, hopefully we'll see little red dots on this lovely strip of white paper. This time, Adam's sneeze should leave a telltale trail of cherry-colored tracks. <laughs> oh. <sighs> oh, it's irritating and sweet and fruity. <coughs> oh, it's happening. Gesundheit. And now to check the distance. I don't see any red flecks. 
Unfortunately, Adam's fruity sneeze hasn't left a mark. But as always, there's a solution. We have a new plan. The new plan is rather than snort any more colored things, I'm going to go back to the snuff, but just before I sneeze, I'm gonna spray some uncut food dye into my mouth. Yeah, that ought to show up. Adam takes a snort of snuff and a swig of food coloring. Oh, God, it looks like a murder scene here. That time around, the sneeze went quite literally with flying colors. one out here at 17 feet. That's not bad. No, you're halfway there, over halfway. But I think that's about it. You think that's about it? Yeah. I think I need to then try again. We're making modern art, <laughs> as well as some science. Nickbusters, next Wednesday at 9. It's all new on Discovery. Okay. So, a Mythbusters Christmas. Uh, we're going to look at some commonly held views, and we just want to go, are, are, are some of these questions that are being asked, can we confirm them? Can we deny them? What do we do with some of these truths and some of these, you know, myths? I put that in quote again, um, and we, we just want to talk through that. <laughs> Many of you are already concerned, like, I don't see Luke chapter 2. It won't be Christmas unless Luke chapter 2 is read. We'll read it. We'll read it. We'll read Matthew 2. We'll read some of the, the birth narratives, so don't don't fret, don't uh, get scared about that, but we're just going to um, take some time to, to look at the advent, um, the coming of Christ, the incarnation of Jesus from a couple different uh, vantage points, and, and hopefully in doing so, uh, draw you closer to, to Christ this uh, Christmas season. So this week we want to look at that first question, uh, was Jesus fully God? And I think with that, there's, there's two questions that we want to look at from the Bible's vantage point. The Bible is our authority. It is God's word. It is what we understand to be true. And so if we're going to ask questions about who God is, we're going to let the Bible be the one that answers those questions. I think the, the two questions we want to uh, ask in light of this greater question of was Jesus fully God, is Jesus fully God, are these two. What are the characteristics of divinity? What makes one divine? According to the Bible, what makes God divine? What what attributes does he have? And, and then can we see those? Do we see those characteristics attributed to Jesus? So first, just kind of what, what makes one divine? What are the characteristics that, that describe God as deity, as divine? Okay, and then do we see those same attributes, those same characteristics attributed to Jesus? Now, before I go any further, I want to just make a certain note here, make a certain point, because I think in some ways, if you are really deeply in the trenches with this question of trying to understand was Jesus or was Jesus not divine, okay, I think that is a question which we, at Hope, we love big questions like that. And so we're not threatened that you might have that question even as you sit there in church today. That, that doesn't threaten us. We want Hope Community, we want people who are getting to know church, getting to know the Bible, getting to know Christ to ask those big questions. God's not threatened by those questions, okay? 
And so then as I address this in a 30-minute message, you might be tempted to think like, oh, that's, that's all core, that's all hope, that's all the Bible would want to say on that topic. And, and admittedly, if you're really wrestling with this, what I'm going to put forward might seem quite simplistic. And I admit, it is. There are way more attributes, way more characteristics that I could go into beyond the six that I'm going to point out. I, I want to I admit that right now. And yet, I also want to guard against an equal and opposite error, which is to think that this is too complex, too mysterious, too hard to fathom, okay? I think mistakenly, some people understand love God with all of your mind to mean I'm going to look at the things of God, and I better understand them, and then I'll love God with all of my mind, no, I'm, I'm saying love God with all of your mind means you delve into some of these things. Some of these things may be even too hard for us to understand, okay? But that does, doesn't necessarily prevent worship. And I want to say that again, because for some of you, it's like, no, you're only going to worship what you can understand. And I'm going to say, there's parts of God that you will not get that are too great for your own brain's understanding, just putting that in relational terms. There are things that happen in relationships or friendships. You are friends, and, and sometimes you just scratch your head like, I don't get that about my friend. I don't get that about my boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't understand that about my spouse. I certainly don't understand those things about my boss. Hey. <laughs> right? But it doesn't mean you can't celebrate. It doesn't mean that you can't get to know. And that, I just want to guard against that other error, which just says, it's just too complex. It's just too hard to understand. And so if you're sitting there this morning, I want to, I want to draw some, connect some dots for you. And I think just with what I give you today, it should be enough where we, we have a response to that. Okay? So let me start talking about the first question, what are the characteristics of divinity that our Bible presents? And I just want to walk through a few passages. If you have a, a worship folder, you can look on the sermon insert. You can see the characteristics right there in front of you. Uh, they'll be on the screen. We're going to walk through some Bible and talk about those characteristics um, here. So let me start just the first question there. What are the characteristics of the divinity? In Isaiah 40, this is our Old Testament, an old-time prophet, Isaiah, he's old school, okay? So go back in your Bible, uh, chapter 40, verse 28. In that verse, we read this. The Lord is the everlasting God. The Lord is the creator of the ends of the earth. So right there, we have two characteristics, two attributes that we can look at, that God is everlasting and God is creator. What does it mean that God is everlasting? That means from kind of eternity past and eternity future, God spans all of it. He doesn't have a beginning like we understand a beginning or an end. It's just like, no, 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 first and last, he, he is the beginning. He doesn't have a beginning. He is the beginning of all things, and he's the end of all things, okay? God is everlasting from forever past to forever future. He just spans all of it. He's everlasting and that's one of the attributes of divinity. Another one is he is creator. Now, we believe in a monotheistic religion. The Bible puts forward one God. The Lord our God is one God. There's not many gods, just one God. And that God is creator. If you go to other religions or you go to polytheism where there's multiple gods, it's like, well, this is God's, he's in charge of the rain. This one's in charge of the sun. And maybe there's another that's in, that kind of the creator of all things. Okay, 
Our God, he just, he has all of that. Anything that's been made, our God created. He is the creator, okay? So there, there right there, we have two attributes of what makes God, God. What consists, what characteristics are attributed to his divinity, showing him to be God? Well, that he's everlasting and that he is creator. Let's go to another passage. This is in our New Testament. In Acts chapter 17, we read these words. Okay, so keep those two in mind. If you have that insert, you can keep those in front of you and keep track as we go here. So those are the first two. Let's go on to the next one. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And this God, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So what in this set of verses can we learn about God in his divinity as a deity here? Again, I think there's two, that he is Lord and he is independent or self-existing. Let me talk about the first one there. What does it mean that God is Lord? He is owner and over everything. He is sovereign over everything. Okay, another verse talks about the heavens being his throne and the earth a footstool under his feet. We are simply an ottoman underneath the feet of our God, okay? Uh, He is Lord. He is all-powerful. He is over everything. The fourth one there, God is independent or self-existing. I want to be careful with this one because if this is a thought that is new to you, I remember when this attribute of God was shared with me, the panic that set in in my life. What this means that God is independent or self-existing is he does not need you and me. He does not need you. His life will continue without me. He can go on. He didn't create us out of some need, that there was some sort of absence in his kind of perfect holiness that he just felt compelled to create. He has life in himself. He doesn't need his creation to fill him up and to give him life and to give him encouragement and to make him feel good about himself. He doesn't need that. He is completely independent and self-existing. So the implication is the fact that he is independent, is self-existing, but he still chooses to create. He still chooses to send his son. He still chooses to save is phenomenal. Because he doesn't need to. He doesn't need us. It's a phenomenal truth when we understand the implications. Let's continue on. From Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, this attribute is communicated. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. He doesn't change. Now, we might not necessarily think about that as an attribute of divinity, Okay? But let's make clear that God is unchangeable. His creation changes. Okay? There's a passage in uh, Hebrews that's quoting the Old Testament okay, that talks about the earth, the creation, kind of wearing out. Like, like a rug that you would just like, you know, it's, it's served its purpose. It's been here. It's kind of getting old, and so I'm going to wear it out. Why? Because it's changed. It's deteriorated over time. And then right after it talks about that, it talks about the God who never changes. You and I, we change. My mom and dad, they're, they're thankful that I'm not the 13-year-old that I was, right? They're just like, 
No, it's, you grew up, and that's, that's a really good, healthy thing. I, I change. You change, okay? But God does not change. Let's do one more here. One more on the characteristics, the attributes of divinity and deity that then we can ask the second question before us today. Second Kings 17 says this. The Lord made a covenant with his people and commanded his people, and this is, this is kind of later in Israel's history, not to our New Testament yet, later in their history, referring back to the covenant God made with his people in earlier times. God makes his covenant and says, you shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them. But you shall fear the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. What do we see here? What are one of the characteristics of divinity? God alone is worthy of worship. Several times in there it talks about bowing before him, bringing sacrifice, which was an ancient way of worshiping God, bowing, just prostrating themselves flat on their faces, on the ground, in front of God to express worship. He alone is worthy of worship. If you go back to the Ten Commandments, right? No other gods before God, right? No other name above him. You'll honor his name and you will worship him alone. So again, that's a very simplistic, that's very quick, that's a half dozen attributes. I have another two dozen that I left on the cutting room floor that we could walk through, each of these even worthy of their own message, okay? But what of those attributes, and this is, you know, was Jesus fully God? If so, we should be able to walk through those same six attributes and see the Bible confirming at each of those attributes that those attributes belong to Jesus, the Christ, okay? So let's, let's walk through a couple other passages now and look at, are these same characteristics attributed to Jesus? Is Jesus everlasting? Is he from eternal past to eternal future? Yes. John 1, how John's gospel starts is the same way that our Old Testament book of Genesis, first book in the Bible starts. In Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. He was there in the beginning, okay? In our book of Revelation, it's, he, Jesus says, I'm the beginning and the end, first and the last, okay? So look at John chapter one here. Comparing it with Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, oh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You might think, that's not Jesus' name, okay? Keep reading down to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And you keep reading. And what comes into view is the Son. Who comes into view is Christ, Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. There are other verses, specifically in Revelation, that connect these dots even further. That not just is kind of the Lord, but no, Jesus is first and last. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Okay? So I think we can confirm from this that, that Jesus is everlasting. Let's go on to the second one here. Jesus is creator. I think, I think so. Colossians 1 says, For by Jesus all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
All things were created through him and for him. If you keep reading from John 1 that we just uh, finished up, it says, through Christ, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus participated in creating the heavens and the earth. Jesus can be rightly spoken of as creator. Let's go on to the third one here. How about Jesus is Lord? And this has many, many scriptures connected to it. But let me go to Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 10, looking at Jesus is Lord. It says, what does the scripture say? And then here's the response. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, this, this idea of Lord can mean God overall, okay? The one who is owner of all things, has authority, he's all-powerful, he's the one that has heaven as his throne and the earth as his footstool, okay? Now, it can be used in a lesser sense to just say a master, a lord of the house, okay? So how can we differentiate? Well, there are times in here where you have to look at the context and just say, do we think what's being established and talk about is just Jesus who's a, a, kind of a, a, a smaller L lord, kind of the, the owner of a different area. doesn't seem to be the context of this passage, nor in another companion verse to this in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, no one can say Jesus is accursed unless absent of the Holy Spirit. And no one can say Jesus is Lord unless it is the Holy Spirit who speaks through them. So would you really need kind of the Holy Spirit's power, presence, kind of reverberating in you to just kind of say this person, this this man is kind of a head of a household or he's a manager of this area. Probably not, right? So what seems to be in view is the Holy Spirit needing to be within us to be able to proclaim and understand the reality that Jesus is Lord over all. In the same way that we've understood Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, to be Lord over all, now we're understanding it to mean Jesus. Jesus is Lord over all. Let's go on to number four. Jesus is independent. God, we saw, was independent, right? Self-existing, doesn't need us. Well, what about Christ? Is he independent? Is he self-existing? In John chapter 5, we read, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. This also be, this idea gets picked up near the time of the crucifixion, where Jesus says, no, 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 I have authority over my life. I have authority to lay it down and pick it up again. Okay? It's not that these people are bringing something against me. These, these uh, officials that are bringing me to the cross have power and authority over me. No, 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 no. I laid down my life. And I have authority to pick it up again. I'm not dependent on them for the outcome of my life and my death. No, no, no. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority over my life, whether to pick it up or lay it down. And then finally, Jesus is unchangeable. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Famous passage. Many times, maybe you've heard that. Do you realize the significance of that? He doesn't change. Like the weather, like his creation, like you and me, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And so in these attributes, we see Jesus having the same attributes that are given to God. And so just connecting the dots, just letting the Bible teach us, letting the Bible speak to us, we can understand and make the declaration that Jesus was fully God. Was Jesus fully God? Yes. Yes, he was. And if that's the case, then what? What do we do with that? How do we understand that for us? I just think of even, um, you know, one of the disciples, Thomas, who at one time doubted, right? And then he believes, and what is, what is his exclamation? My God and my Lord. When we think of even the Christmas season, many times we, we hear the, the title thrown around, Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. He's with us. So what do we do with that? How do we understand the Nicene Creed, which describes Jesus as very God? That language might be unique to us, but just, what does that mean? True God. What do we do with that? Well, what was the last attribute that I talked about of divinity, of deity, that God should be worshipped? There, are there any New Testament examples where the Son of God is worshipped, where Jesus is worshipped? Look what Hebrews 1 says, and this is point number six. Sorry, I got the number wrong there. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Jesus is rightly worshipped, rightly to be praised. And that's where I want to now bring us to the the Christmas account here, both from Matthew chapter 2 and from Luke chapter 2. Because we see worship take place there. And I want to I encourage us in that. Let's, let's read from Matthew chapter 2 here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the, uh, had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down. And worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Who are these magi? These are non Jewish, so pagan, foreign leaders, astrologers, but elite. Prominent. So you think of like foreign dignitaries, okay, coming into Herod's house and saying, I've come to worship the king, not you, someone else, right? 
But how phenomenal it is that the language used for this group of people is similar to what we saw in the Old Testament. The treatment of God. What is it? Bow down. Worship this child. So that's one Christmas account. Let me go to the other Christmas account. Love Luke chapter 2. Love it. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Remember, the census was being taken. They had to go back to their hometown. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no, room, no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Hebrews 1, right there, right? When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the angels said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. How phenomenal, right? Who are these shepherds? Jewish, blue-collar, keeping watch. What watch? Overnight watch. Okay? of low esteem in that culture. Hung out with sheep. Probably smelled. So how phenomenal is it that in the incarnation, okay, God with us, Jesus coming and being born, remaining what he was, he became what he was not, he born a child. And like the great song Silent Night says, what is he? Lord at thy birth. And you just look at the crowd's present. Okay? You have the angels, which Hebrews 1 says, no, no, the Father says, no, angels, this is what you do. You can stay with me in heaven. You know, I got heaven as my throne, earth as my footstool, and what do you do? Well, you just worship. That's what they do. That's what angels do, just worship. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all the time, day and night, okay? And this one moment here, this brief moment, he just says, no, no go with my son, announces coming, right? So you just have to have the angels worshiping the sun kind of in the, in the sky there, right? But then you have these magi, these pagan foreign dignitaries that are 
compelled and brought to the newborn king. And then you have these shepherds, these lowly, smelly, blue-collar, night-watch shepherds that come. So you just kind of, you just imagine this. You just look at the spectrum that's represented here. From those that are esteemed to those who are not. And everybody in between, come and worship the newborn king. Whether pagan and non-Jewish or Jewish or everything in between, come and worship the newborn king. Whether you believe and know anything about this or whether you're Jewish and you understand because you've attended synagogue or not, come worship the newborn king. Wherever you're at, from wherever you're from, come and worship the newborn king. What is the proper response to the divinity of Jesus Christ? Worship. This Christmas, worship. We already read, he's, he's not served by human hands as if he need anything. Doesn't mean we won't serve, it just doesn't mean that that's ultimately not what he's looking for. He's looking for a people gathered in his name that will worship the newborn king. Was Jesus fully God? Absolutely. Fully God, fully man. We'll look at that fully man next week. But as we think about Christmas and as you think about the holidays and all of the time constraints, all of the parties, all of the gifts, all of it, let's make this our foremost desire, our foremost zeal to be put forward in worshiping the newborn king who is Lord at thy birth. Let's pray together.